Hello, mind-body musingers. It's so good to have you back for another episode of the podcast. And today's interview is with someone that I am just so thrilled to introduce you to, if you don't already know him. Colin Wright is an author, speaker, and the host of the Let's Know Things podcast. He's also the blogger behind Exile Lifestyle and the co-founder of Asymmetrical Press. He has been traveling full-time since 2009. I'm in awe by Colin for many reasons. One of the reasons is because he is a full-time writer. He's always writing. He's an entrepreneur. He's traveling to a new country every four months. He's constantly investing his time into learning new skills and creating long-lasting relationships with people and allowing himself to continually evolve and grow. He's a beautiful writer. When, when he writes, I'm captivated. I'm just very present with each email I receive from him, but also his books are incredible. And the fact that he's able to travel to a new country every four months and totally indulge himself in the culture and the lessons that can be provided there and learning, he is a very outgoing type of person and he's always learning new things and I find that very inspiring. So I've connected with his work over the past four years I would say since I started following him and when I created this podcast he was on my radar to get on it and for whatever reason I was probably too nervous to ask him to come on the show and recently the time just felt right finally. So here he is to come onto the podcast to talk about training your minimalism muscle, talk about moving to a new country every four months, how to create relationships, even whenever you're moving and you're on the go. We talk about getting back into music and learning how to play music and learning what, what it's like to actually learn, how to best learn any new skill in your life, how to stick with something and actually see results in the process of learning. We talk about all sorts of things. You're going to love this episode. Before we head on over, as always, I want to read off the review of the week. This comes from a word I cannot pronounce, A-K-S-N-D-B-S-N-D-N-A-N-A-B-D. I don't really know what that means, but she says, speaks to my soul with five stars. She is so empowering, which she already knows, and I love that. <laughs> it really hit home when I heard that you are the same age as me, the lovely age of 26. I'm in awe at how accomplished she is and is so inspiring for me to keep going. Thank you so much for listening, and happy 26. It's a great year. I am loving it so far, and I hope you are as well. I appreciate everything you just said and everything you wrote. That means the world to me. And uh, I find you inspiring. I don't even know you. And I find you inspiring just for being here and listening to this podcast and investing your time and growing. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Don't ever change that. And, and even if it's listening to new podcasts, I love when people are just investing in their own time and their self-care by learning more about lifestyle and, and growth and, and self-love. So thank you for that review. Thank you to everyone who has ever written a view on my iTunes show. That means so much to me. As always, we've got a couple sponsors. One of the sponsors is going to be Audible. So if you want to get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook, you can go to audibletrial.com slash mindbodymusings, and that will be on the show notes for this episode. I'll have a direct link to that. So if you want to get your free audiobook, you can just go to my website, click on the link in the show notes for this, and go over there to pick out your audiobook and get a 30-day free trial. You can also go over to maddiemoon.com slash coaching to look at what I provide in my coaching. Sometimes people are a little bit confused on what all I do for coaching. I coach women who are trying to heal from um, body image, disordered eating, try to reclaim their life, try to create more self-love practices, trying to work through traumas from their past. I coach a very wide range of, of life issues or life desires. I also coach women to create online businesses. So if you are someone who has had a struggle in your past, you've worked through it, and now you want to create an online business coaching other women through it, I coach people to do that. So if you look at what I do with my lifestyle and you really want to learn how to do that yourself and you know that it is a big time investment and it will take a lot, it will certainly require you to invest in yourself and to show up for yourself and set aside time for coaching for yourself. It's a big, it's a big thing. 
But if this is something that your heart is craving and you really love the idea of being able to travel and and work remotely from your computer and change people's lives and speak and get on podcasts and write blogs, then go on over to maddiemoon.com slash coaching and you can read my testimonials over there. You can fill out an application and I'll get back to you after I spend some time looking over it. That's all that we have to share today. I think it's about time we head on over to listen to Mr. Colin Wright's beautiful insight on life. And let's go head on over. You are now entering the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you find yourself hungry for growth, eager for inspiration, and longing for self-improvement, welcome home. Hosted by motivational speaker and life coach Maddie Moon, you can be certain you will learn how to change your life in magical ways in each and every episode. Are you ready to stop caring what other people think? Is it time you break limiting beliefs and empower your whole being? Do you know how to use the one life you've been given to the absolute fullest? Join Maddie Moon and her inspirational guests every Wednesday for the life-altering discussions on freedom, vulnerability, abundance, and so much more. For more insight, grab your free gift on MaddieMoon.com and uncover your own once-in-a-lifetime greatness within. If you have kind words to say, feel free to leave a review on the show in iTunes or send your favorite episode to a friend. We look forward to hearing your insights and growing together in unexpected ways. And now, without further ado, here's your host. Maddie Moon. And we're back here now with Mr. Colin Wright, who I was just telling I am so excited to speak with on the Mind Body Musings podcast because this is a man I have been following for, I would say, probably four years now. And it's not that often that I get nervous to speak to a guest anymore. So to me, it's actually a rare treat that I get someone on that I feel I've known and I've followed his journey for so long. But more than that, Colin has inspired me from everything from minimalism and travel and how to view relationships, which I'm really excited to get into all of those separate things and writing. Oh my God, you're just amazing. You do all these different things. So welcome to the show, Colin. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much. You're too kind. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is great. You know, you've actually been on my list to have on the show probably since I started it, which was a long time ago. But for whatever reason, I was like, oh, I can't ask Colin to get on my show yet. <laughs> here we are four years later. You're on it. Yay, we're here. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, better late than never. That's what I say. Yes, exactly. And the timing just felt right. I just found myself emailing you. And I was like, OK, this needs to happen finally. So here we are. And yeah, I'm just so excited to introduce you to my audience if they're not already familiar with you because there's so many different avenues that I want to go down with you, but so many different places you've inspired me for seeking more connection with life, whether it be cleansing your space from clutter and learning how to use experiences like to fill up your life instead of things, or it's how you see relationships, all of that good stuff. So Let's start where is the simplest place to start a little bit about what you're up to today and maybe share a little bit with my audience on why you're what you're well known for the traveling and and how that business idea came to be or I guess more of a lifestyle idea came to be. Yeah, well definitely a business and a lifestyle. I back in 2009, um mid to late 2009, kind of had a a revelatory moment where I realized that although I was doing pretty well business-wise and monetarily, I was setting aside all of the most important things in my life and telling myself that I'd get around to them one day, but also kind of knowing in the back of my mind that that one day might not ever show up. Or if it did, it would show up. I'd be in my 60s or 70s and I'd wake up and realize that I never got around to it. So I had a moment, made a pivot, Gave myself four months to change everything. Got rid of everything that I owned that wouldn't fit into a carry-on bag. Rescaled my business, which was a branding studio, so that I could run it from the road. And then left. And I, because I'd never left the country at that point, uh, I'd always wanted to travel. That was one of these major priorities that I was setting aside. But I'd never left the country. I was always too busy. So I didn't know where to go. 
so I had my readers vote on what country I should go to because I figured everyone on the planet was more capable of making that kind of decision than I was in an educated way. And they chose Argentina, and it turned out to be an absolutely amazing experience. So I had them do it again, and they chose New Zealand. And I realized that my audience is full of brilliant people who would never steer me wrong. So for the last seven or eight years, I have had them vote on what country I would move to every four months. I've continued to own only what would fit in my carry-on bags real estate and I've segued from doing brand consulting, which is what I did the first year on the road, to becoming a full-time author and now a podcast host as well. And that I find really impressive as well, the the fact that you're able to create so many books. Like I've written a few. <laughs> and when that's one of the things when I first found you, I was like, man, this guy is amazing. He's writing because I'm a huge writer. And I was like, he's writing and that's living and he's traveling all over the world. But writing that much it's i think it can easily be romanticized being like oh i wish i had all this time that's hard that is hard <laughs> hard 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 work so i definitely acknowledge you for that but going back to the first vote i'm i'm interested so you did you already have your own platform for all of your writings and so you had a following a pretty big following at the very start when you had the vote or was it like a handful of people who voted at the beginning no, it was pretty small at first. I, I started the blog shortly after deciding that I would leave because I, I essentially had no idea what I was doing and I didn't know what my life would end up looking like. But I was a brander, so I recognized that, hey, if I'm going to go do this, I should probably figure out what my story is. What is it that I'm doing? How can I explain this to people in such a way that whatever I, I decide to do next, I'll be in a pretty good position to then have these connections and opportunities lined up. So I wanted to be able to tell that story in a compelling way. And the best way to get started with that seemed to be writing about it, writing about the process, writing about my thoughts, why I was doing it, and telling that story, and then using that as a means of then reaching out and making connections with new people who could perhaps inform me <laughs> about all of these things that I didn't know uh, how to do and didn't know about. And then the voting thing kind of emerged naturally from that. So the first vote, I think, after those four months or so of writing, I had maybe 500 people, uh, which, which was pretty good, all things considered, <laughs> having just started. But yeah. remember, too, that this was 2009. So the blogosphere was not as saturated as it is now. So the people who were writing about minimalism, for example, on the internet, you could count on one hand. It just was not something that people were talking about in a very real way. So it was a little bit easier at the time to step into an area, kind of make a name for yourself, and then become known for it just by uh, just by being durable enough, I guess, to stick around for a couple of years and, and become known for it. Do you think that something like this today, if someone, let's say that you hadn't created this idea yet, and this year you decided you wanted to do this, do you think that since blogging, like it seems like everyone and their mom has a blog these days and now podcasting is starting to be pretty similar. Do you think that having such a response, because 500 to me, I'm like, whoa, I thought it would be way less than that to just get started. So do you think that now the blogging world is really changing and it's not quite as common for people to get hooked on blogs necessarily because there are so many? Yeah, probably. I, I think at any moment, any time that you happen to find yourself in, the blog of the moment will be something different. So back then, blogging was kind of the new fringy thing that people were just starting to get into. And social media was a brand new thing that people not in college were just able to adopt as well. Like Twitter had been around a few years and Facebook had been around a few years for people outside of universities. So like the dynamic was shifting just enough that people were starting to adopt at the the beginning stages of the top of that adoption parabola they were starting to get in, uh, starting to get into it so it was a really good adoption curve part to be on that said at any moment there is something like that if blogs are super saturated and people don't pay attention to them quite as much anymore for a variety of reasons well what's the new blog you could argue podcasts are at that point on the adoption curve right now uh, you could argue things like Instagram stories are the same way. The medium to me is a whole lot less important. I'm a little bit vehicle agnostic in terms of how 
I tell stories, usually what you want to focus on is what you're saying to begin with, what story you're telling, what information and value you have to share, and how you can interact with people on the other end, as opposed to getting too hung up on saying, well, it's definitely got to be a blog. I am a blogger, and therefore I blog. You're much better off if you can say, I am a storyteller, or I am a person who has information about X, Y, and Z, how best to reach the audience that I want to reach. Oh, I like that. That's a really good way to think about it because sometimes I struggle with when people ask me what I do. I'm like, oh, I'm a, a writer. I am a speaker. I am a coach and a podcaster. And instead of saying I am a um, leader or a you know, speaker in the field of blah, 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 I like talk about the mediums. I do like these things on these platforms. So I like the way you're saying it. It's like focusing on storytelling or guiding. I, I don't consider myself to be like a guide or anything like that, but <laughs> I do coach. So finding some way to share what you're doing, like what is the end result that you're trying to create in people rather than being a blogger, right? I get what you're saying. Yeah. And it depends on the circumstances, obviously. In some cases, when people say, what do you do? What they're really asking is, how do you pay the mm -hmm. bills? How do you actually make money? But if you think of yourself internally using those broad labels that then allow you to diversify and go in a lot of different directions and experiment with a lot of things without it being something that feels weird, that causes friction with your self-image, uh, then you're in a much better place to then go with the flow and be excited about new things and try them out. See them as another tool, another color on your palette or another, uh, you know, if you've always used graphite, now you're looking at oil paints and saying, hey, that's kind of like graphite. I could figure out how to use that so that you can train yourself in the technique and the tool rather than defining yourself in terms of the tool. Mm, yes. Okay, cool. I love that. So FYI, I'm probably going to popcorn around with you. Um, because I have so many questions I want to ask you. So I really like my interviews to be nice and smooth and like so subtle in our transitions. But with you, I'll probably be like, Hey, here's a totally random question that I have for you because I've got so many things I want to ask you. So that's totally so cool. now, you know, I'm switching like all over the place, but I am very curious specifically about on your travels. Okay. So you travel to where people vote for you to go and you stay there for, you said four months. Yes. Typically. Yeah. Okay. What about, so how have you found a a view a, a way to create friendships and not get attached but still create connection because that was something i struggled with was getting down in the dumps too often that i would meet a new friend when i was traveling and then i'd have to say bye very quickly and, mm. and it was almost like the part about learning how to create friendships and know that they'll always be there but not have to see them again I could do that sometimes, but then I would find other times that would be really challenging and almost be like, what's the point? You know, and that was hard for me. So I'm curious how you were able to create that or, or have you always been like that where it wasn't hard for you to be able to move to new places, create new friendships and leave behind old ones? I think part of what's important to recognize is that it will be more difficult sometimes than others because of the types of connections. Uh, but a a way of framing it that really helps me is that what I aim for is a connection rather than a dependency. And th that's not a, we, we don't really pay attention to that difference sometimes, but a lot of our relationships, be they romantic or friendships or business relationships or whatever, they turn into a type of dependency, not because we're weak and not because we are incomplete in any way, but because that's how we've been trained to develop relationships. You are uh, completed by this other person. That's even the words that we use to define these types of relationships are oriented around us being incomplete without these other people. Whereas if you can go into every relationship, be it a really quick transitory relationship, somebody on a bus between here and there, and maybe you never talk again, or maybe you become friends on Facebook and maybe talk once a year, if that, just to catch up, or if it's something where you see somebody every day and want to spend the rest of your life with them, either way, being able to come into it complete and recognizing that you are enough all by yourself and anyone else that you add is a glorious addition to that potentially and them recognizing the same hopefully then you can approach it in such a way that 
removing them from the equation and you being removed from their life in a certain way too, either physically or just because you don't have enough time to connect daily. It, it's not like you're a tree leaning on another tree and that other tree is suddenly removed and then you like start to fall. You are both standing straight and proud and you have excellent posture and you're good by yourself. And that makes it much easier then to enjoy whatever role they play in your life and to allow them to enjoy whatever role you play in your life without being utterly devastated if and when for some reason they're not there or not there as much as you might hope. And, and so that's kind of a good general framework I have found to approach any of these things. The The practicality of it will be different and recognizing too that not everybody will be a best friend and allowing yourself potentially to focus on just a handful of best, absolute best friends who get your full time and attention. And then having kind of a, I, I think of it in terms of orbits where you have like the inner orbit, the people who are closest, and then like a secondary orbit where it's people who you really enjoy spending time with. Maybe once or twice a month, you like to hang out with them, but they're, they don't get your full time and attention every day. And then maybe an acquaintances orbit where it's people who you enjoy and you'll say howdy and catch up with them if and when you see them, but you're not going to go out of way out of your way for each other. It's it's not the type of relationship that will take up a lot of time and attention. And allowing yourself to stratify it in that way, I think, really helps as well in terms of being able to make the time to be around the people that fulfill you the most, uh, even if they're far away. Like being able to take the time and resources to go visit them or to Skype on the regular, whatever it happens to be. I, I find that making those those uh, those stratifications more clear really helps sort and organize so that you can allocate resources appropriately. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, that's a good way to think about things, no matter if you are a traveler or if you're in one place, is to be selective, I guess you could say, about who is in your deepest inner circle. That's important no matter where you are, because whoever you spend the most amount of your time with, that's who you're going to be the most like. So if you're hanging around people who are constantly putting you down or they're good codependent on you, there might be some unhealthy patterns going on in those relationships. So whether you're traveling abroad or you're living at home with your parents or you're married, whatever it may be, those people that you spend most of your time with, those are the people you need to be selective around. And you're more than welcome to have boundaries around who you let into that inner circle. I will mm -hmm. say, I agree with what you're talking about. I believe that for me, I, I'm exactly what you're saying. I'm a tree standing straight. I also allow myself to have a healthy level of, I don't want to use the word, oh, I read something in the other day about this. It was like the perfect way to describe it. It's not dependency, but it's like interconnectedness where you allow yourself to not rely in a way that the other tree needs to hold up your branches, but allow yourself to let down your guards to let someone in to have a place in your life to even be needed. Right. And, and well, go ahead. A, a, sorry. Yeah. A good way of thinking about that, uh, to, to extend the tree metaphor a little bit further is that rather than being dependent in the sense that you are being held up or they are being held up by you, you, because you know that you're good and they know that they're good, you do not, your survival is not predicated on their presence. And so you can allow yourself to open up a whole lot more and they can do the same so that you can intermingle your branches like crazy. And the same with your root system, even if you want to go that deep with it, uh, you can do that because you know, this is not something that is locking you into something that could potentially at some point become toxic. You are both capable of extracting yourself if you want to. And knowing that you can open up even further and really throw yourself into something good rather than being worried that it's going to be abused in some way. Mm, yes. Have you found that your romantic relationships have been hard to develop? I, I remember you wrote a newsletter or a post around this, and I found it very fascinating, but that was a while ago. So what's that like with your romantic relationships and you having to explain to people like you're on the go? Do people typically understand that and they're open to that? <laughs> the the right people do, mm. <laughs> and they are. Uh, it's for everyone, I think it, this is the case, that there is a, a, there's a certain number of people in the world and then there's a very finite, limited number of those people that you would be good in a relationship with for numerous different reasons. 
the more specific your lifestyle and the more specific your collection of needs and desires and everything else get, the smaller the pool. And I have such a weird life and such a weird collection of preferences and, and needs in that way that the pool is incredibly small. That said, over the years, I've gotten better at recognizing it and recognizing, too, uh, as has been the case in a, few, in a few situations where someone is kind of telling me what they think I want to hear, but they're clearly mm. not going to be fulfilled by the situation uh, if there is a time limit on it or if I'm not going to be around all the time, things like that. So you have to be very honest with yourself and with them about that. Uh, but in my mind, so long as you are upfront and clear, if you communicate well, if you are if you do everything that you can to ensure that everyone involved is on the same page and getting what they want and need out of the situation, then whatever type of relationship you want to build has the potential to be a good one. But if you obfuscate in any way, if you are concealing things or lying or even blurring the truth a little bit, if I went into a place and implied that I would be around forever rather than moving on after four months, that would be a really toolish thing to do. That would not be okay. Uh, likewise, if somebody else did the same for me, if they were expecting they wanted a certain type of lifestyle, they wanted to have the traditional marriage and kids thing, which is not something that I want to do, and they obscured that, that would be not a cool thing as well. So it's, it's really about figuring out different ways to get that on the table sooner without it being a crazy thing, as if you're laying out your future life plans on the first date or something like that. Uh, my typical approach for this is just to make it very clear that every first date, I don't really do first dates. I do like friendship interviews where <laughs> if somebody's cool, whether, whether or not I think there's even dating potential, if I think somebody's cool, I'll go get a coffee with them and have a conversation. And the idea is that then you can kind of get a reading on each other, see if there's any potential for chemistry, possibly. But if nothing else, you've set it up in such a way that you're building a friendship and you can be happy about that rather than being disappointed that it didn't turn into some kind of romantic thing. Do you have a place in relationships where you notice like this is the turning point when things become like extra clear, whether or not it's going to work and everyone's being aligned with themselves? Because I know in, in my own experiences with not so much anymore. I will say this because I've worked tremendously on this in the past year of speaking up with what I know is true to me. Like probably a few years ago, if someone said they don't know if they want to do like marriage and kids, I'd be like, oh yeah, you know, that's like, that's cool. But I know I do. <laughs> but I know a couple of years ago, I would have been like so in love with the idea of love that I would be like, yeah, you know, that's fine. Like, I probably, you know, I'm so open. I'm so open to whatever comes my way. Like, let's just figure it out. Um, I'm now at the point where I'm like, okay, cool. I have no expectations of what you desire. And it's great to hear that about you because I think that's also very important is like not getting into anything with someone already having preconceived notions of how they're supposed to be. And I'm sure that's been something you've experienced is maybe other people that you have dated having the expectation thinking that they could potentially change your mind about these things that you're set on. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just a growing, that's part of growing. I think for, for everyone in relationships is learning how to not have expectations for people. But how have you come to find whether or not people are doing that, whether or not they're telling you, like you said, just what you want to hear or whether they're being honest or do you not know? Well, you can never really know. And, and honestly, too, the, the other thing that's, that makes this a little bit trickier than it would otherwise be is that people change their mind and like legit change their mind, not just telling you what you want to hear, but they might say something one day and then change their mind the next day based on something that happened, which is a good thing. We should be open to changing our minds. Typically, something that I find works well with this, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but now that you mentioned it, it's something that I realize that I do uh, with a lot of things in life, but with this as well, is typically there will be some moment in which we check in with each other. And sometimes it's formalized, sometimes it's just understood, but like a milestone at some point in the future, maybe a month out or a couple months out where we could say, hey, let's try this out. And then on this date, when that thing happens or when I take that trip or we do this or whatever, we'll check in and see how this is going. And if it still makes sense, we'll keep doing it. If not, 
then we will make a new choice from that point forward. And in that way, it allows you to approach it as kind of an experiment where you both have an out. You both understand that neither person is trying to take advantage of the other person. But you're also setting things up in such a way that you could potentially learn something new. I mean, I today don't want kids and i'm not really into the the idea of a more traditional marriage situation for me and my priorities i could completely change my mind five years from now i could change my mind tomorrow based on something that i learn about myself or something somebody that i meet or some bit of information that i take in some experience that i have and allowing yourself to do that and recognizing that you and other people are prone to that and that's a good thing that's you growing is good and allowing that into the formula, whatever your your process happens to be, I think is really important as well. That's so beautiful. I love this so much because it sounds to me like what you're saying is you're very uh, confident and secure in who you are deep in your core, but you also know that you have a, a loose grasp on the future and you're available to changing your mind and to growing and to evolving. And so many times people get so obsessed with who they think they're supposed to be they make up their mind around one thing and they hold on to it because the fear of everything changing. And right, totally, right. it is it is scary when everything you thought was in your future gets flipped on its head. But I I find it entertaining. I find it exciting. I find it thrilling to be in that fear. Have you ever been in a situation with someone where you've you've dreamt of tr- doing your travels and having your lifestyle with them by their by your side? There have been situations in which, yeah, in which that's happened, in which for a while there there was a a gal that I was dating for, gosh, it was probably three and a half or four years in total. But part of it was off and on. Part of it, we went our own way and we dated other people, but we were still like kind of dating, Um, just like an open thing. It was an open relationship. Uh, But then we would go and get together from time to time every four months or so and go play house somewhere and live together. And we traveled a few times together to other places. So it it was a a big mashup of different lifestyles that we lived together. And it was really lovely and wonderful and fit really well for that relationship and for the, the moment in time that we were in. Oh, that's so juicy. I love hearing that. It sounds, it's just, sounds so you. I mean, it's so creepy that I'm like, (laughs) I know all about you. This sounds totally you, Colin. Um, but no, that's really beautiful because that's, I, I don't think that's something you hear of too often is two people being able to do something so open like that. It sounds very unattached and it sounds very healthy. Sounds like there's a healthy level of like understanding and respect and connection there. And I think that's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah. It's it, you never know if those types of things will work out and I think a lot more people especially right now romanticize the idea of kind of non-traditional relationships, but uh, the fact is that in most cases they actually require a little bit more work than mm-hmm. things that we have better manuals for, things that more people can offer us advice on. So you kind of have to write your own instruction manual as you go along. Ideally, that's the case with any relationship, if we're being completely honest. But because there are so many um, soft areas that are bendable and malleable that you have to shape on the fly, you kind of have to jump off the cliff and build the parachute on the way down. Uh, it, It makes everything a little bit trickier. So you really have to have a good relationship, a good understanding, a capability to adjust as you go along and to make sure that both of you are continuing to get what you need, especially over any period of time. Because again, you know, your, your mind and your preferences and your needs could change overnight. Yeah. I was talking to someone about this and he called it emotional acrobatics. And I was like, yeah, that oh, sounds, that's, it's a great term. Yeah. Emotional acrobatics. And, uh, I, yeah, there's been times in my life where I've been like, oh, that would be so cool. But I know I so know myself and I couldn't I couldn't do that. And I think it's that's why I find it so inspiring. Not I couldn't. I know I could do anything I want to do, but I don't I know that's not in my heart something that for at this point in my life, I know I'm allowed to grow and I'm allowed to change. But I have seen myself show up in relationships one particular way that feels really right. And other ways where I've been with other people that are similar to more of the free spirited open type. And 
Yeah. That's, it's just really interesting to get to know yourself and be honest with yourself about what feels good and what's within your emotional acrobatic capability and mm-hmm. what's not within your emotional acrobatic capability or, or not to say that you can't create that, but do you want to create that? Right. It's like right, just the question, right. do you want to go that route? So that's really cool. I love hearing about that. Um, Switching over to minimalism, I know you talk about this all the time. It's a huge part of of your journey and your lifestyle, and it has to be if you're on the road all the time. How in the world do you not accumulate things? Like I, I consider myself to be a minimalist, but then I like imagine myself standing next to you, and I'm like, no, I'm definitely not. Um, <laughs> well, it's it's definitely not a competition. You don't become a better minimalist by owning fewer things. I think for me, it's more of just like, I, I, I like to have the essentials. I do like the whole, does this bring me joy kind of thing. And I am super OCD, tidy, neat, clean. How do you, though, have everything be able to, how do you only stick to things that can fit inside of a carry-on? How have you done that? <laughs> Well, you know, it becomes really easy with time. The At first, I didn't know if it would work for any amount of time. I, I figured I would need so much more because up until the point that I left L.A., I had had just a crazy amount of stuff in my great big townhouse. But I, honestly, over the years, it, it became more and more clear that I, I actually didn't even need all of the stuff I had in my bag. So, like, my bag was seldom full, even. It, it wasn't bulging at the seams or anything like that. Most of us don't use the vast majority of what we have. Some people do. uh, And some people, particularly if you work in the fashion industry, of course you're going to have a more and probably more interesting wardrobe uh, than, than I do, for instance, somebody who's uh, living a very practical lifestyle wardrobe wise. And people who are fine artists, people who are painters are going to have probably a whole lot more tools and equipment and things than somebody who is not creating physical pieces of artwork. For me, it's fairly easy because most of the work that I do is is pretty tidy and digital these days. My computer and my smartphone allow me to do absolutely everything that I do to make a living. So with just those and with just one set of clothing, uh, because I wouldn't want to be arrested uh, in most places for nudity, um, I, I could be fine. I could earn my living. I could live just about anywhere. I could be totally fine. So anything above and beyond that, and I guess my passport and like a wallet with a debit card or credit card in it, uh, beyond those bare essentials, though, everything else is kind of icing. And for me, looking at it in that way, that so long as I've got the essentials and even the specific essentials, the specific hardware, I could lose my computer. I could lose my phone. They could break. Uh, my clothing could be stolen by somebody. I could get new clothing. I could get a new computer. I could get a new phone. The important stuff is backed up in like three different places in three different continents on the cloud. So being that disconnected from stuff and completely, not completely, but mostly non-reliant on any specific item. That That's something that I've become increasingly aware of over the years. And that has made it increasingly easy to not be super concerned about stuff. Now, that doesn't mean that stuff doesn't make me happy. There are certain things that I own that I'm just all a Twitter with happiness about. My guitar is amazing. I got a keyboard recently. I've been learning to play the piano. That makes me super happy. I have a rocking chair. I'm living in Memphis right now, and I have a rocking chair. And it's just astounding how much joy and pleasure I get out of that stupid rocking chair. It's so great. It's a simple thing that I totally love. But I could get rid of it, and I'd be fine. And developing that type of relationship with your stuff makes it a whole lot easier to recognize that to have it in your life is great. It's a valuable addition, but it's not something kind of like relationships with people, relationships with stuff, not being dependent on that stuff makes it a whole lot easier to not have a toxic relationship with your stuff. I like thinking of it in this way. It's not necessarily I mean, part of it, part of minimalism is the fact that you don't have a whole bunch of stuff, I'm sure, but you're also allowed to technically be on the minimalist spectrum by having things, but just not being attached to things. 
In a way, yeah. I mean, so at, at the end of the day, it really isn't about what you own. My minimalism will be different from yours because typically I'm on the road full time. So for me, uh, minimalism is about focusing on the important stuff so that you have more time, energy, and resources, including money, to spend on the stuff that actually matters. And what matters to me is being able to spend my time on these things that are important to me, including travel, having enough money freed up that I can afford to do that, and then not having to carry around a bunch of stuff because that would get between me and the stuff that I want to do. Your minimalism will look different from that. And some other person's minimalism will look different from that. There's no one correct way to do it. And for some people, and, and this is something that flies in the face of the way that it's typically sold, the Instagram version of minimalism, but some people will own a bunch of stuff and that's okay. The, the thing, the way that I usually explain it to people is that like if you love the hell out of unicorn statuettes and nothing makes you happier than unicorn statuettes, that nothing brings you joy the same way as like a well-made, beautiful unicorn statuette. You should own the best collection of unicorn statuettes you can get your hands on. That's what you should be spending your time, energy, and resources on. And get like a display case for it and shine beautiful lighting on your unicorn statuette collection. And you might own like hundreds of these things, but if they bring you joy, if nothing brings you greater pleasure than unicorn statuettes, that's exactly where those resources and your time should be going. And maybe you won't own a big screen TV and you won't own as many clothes as some other person who's totally into fashion. You'll own a bunch of stuff, but it will be exactly the type of stuff that you should have. Mm, yeah. Okay. This is awesome. I love this because that is for me, it's like when I think about what brings me the most joy, it's not even things, it's the feeling. And so when my home feels very, very clean and very organized and orderly and there's like candles lit and there's plants, I feel at home. I feel at ease. I feel like I have this comfortable, safe container to live inside of. Like it's my office and my home and like that's what brings me great joy. But I also know at any moment I could get rid of everything in here and I would be fine. Mm. I would be absolutely fine. I remember reaching out to you actually, probably, I guess it was over like probably a year and a half ago, um, right before I did my four month Asia trip. And I was like, Hey, Colin, I'm getting rid of my car. I'm getting rid of my stuff. <laughs> um, fortunately, I did keep the car, which was really smart for me to do. Um, put it into storage because I came back sooner. I thought I was going to be gone for like a year. Um, mm. came back sooner, but I did live out of a, I lived out of my backpack. Um, and it was easy breezy. It was awesome. It was so freeing. It was so freeing, but I did. So I think that in itself, even though I came home, got an apartment, filled it up with rugs and couches and chairs and blah, blah, blah. That experience for me was my minimalism experience that I've been able to bring over here. Even with the things present in my life, I now have that in my heart. I don't know my heart, my body, my <laughs> essence. I have that in ingrained in me now. It's like that ability when I, when I got rid of so many things and I started fresh, but then when I was living in Asia and like not having all that stuff, like I, I developed some sort of muscle. It's like the minimalism muscle where I knew that I could <laughs> at any moment, like get rid of the things in my life to have this freedom and mobility and whatever it may be. But it's more about that feeling. I really like that. I didn't really think about it that way before. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it too, the minimalism muscle that you can work out. Because once you experience it and once you see the, the value, what it really is, I think, is extracting yourself from kind of a chemical dependency cycle, actually, where we get our thrills by acquiring things for the sake of acquiring things. And part of the rationale for, or part of the reason for that cycle is because of people in marketing and branding, people who are uh, peddling conspicuous consumption and compulsory consumption. There are lots of great things to consume. Consumption by itself is not a horrible thing, but only feeling happy when we're consuming and being reliant on buying things to be happy, that's where the issue comes in. And so that muscle, in my mind, is something that atrophies because we're stimulated by this, this kind of artificial happiness chemical that we get from purchasing things that then goes away. So we have to buy more things to get happy again. And it's, it's like a drug in a way. And if you extract that from your system, then you start developing that happiness again. You start to generate your own happiness chemicals again. 
in isolation by yourself. And it's something that you know you can do. So your relationship with stuff tends to become more healthy. This makes me think of like when people get addicted to like Instagram likes or mm-hmm. like building yeah, their it's following. The same thing. Yeah, it's, yeah, I was totally. just thinking of that. It's like the same thing. It's like then when you stop posting things on Instagram and looking at the likes obsessively or you just like live your life for a bit and you don't even get on Instagram and you get reconnected to what brings you joy. It's crazy we're even talking about this, but like it's like a thing now. <laughs> this is definitely a thing in our culture. It's like getting on Instagram and beating yourself up if the picture you posted this morning got this many likes, but the one you posted this afternoon got this many likes and you just got to like cleanse yourself from that so that you can see what it's like to get your dopamine from things that happen in your life by you mm-hmm. with you and not dependent on someone who just was scrolling the, their, their phone while they were laying in bed bored. Right. It's just yeah. your own unattachment from what people are, are liking on your Instagram or commenting on or how popular you feel. And cause it's not people's job to like you. It's your job to like you. And and that's what we forget. We, we stop relying on creating this joy and happiness ourselves. And we look for it externally, whether it's things or people or Instagram likes. <laughs> Amen to that. So I do of course have to ask you the question about your favorite travel venture like your favorite four-month travel venture do you have one i know that's hard like picking a baby that you love the most yeah i always have trouble with this question because like each and every one i could point at and i could make an argument for why it's my favorite and why it was Mm -hmm. the the best and most interesting by some metric um the the one that go ahead hmm? you got it never mind oh the, the the one that stands out typically the most because it was the most bizarre and the most educational in a lot of ways for a lot of reasons uh, was living in Calcutta in India. That was a radically different lifestyle from anything that I'd done before and a radically different place and just infrastructurally every single day I I was learning about some incredibly difficult realities. So it, it was super valuable on a lot of levels. What were some of those realities that you learned I thought I had seen poverty before and poverty in developed countries, poverty in Europe, poverty in the United States. Like there's some seriously bad poverty uh, in these places, but like the neighborhood I was living in, it was a pretty decent neighborhood. And I saw dead bodies nearly every day of people who died of starvation and died of diseases that have been cured everywhere else in the world. Like, it's just, it's a reality there. And the level of corruption within the police force, within politics, within the businesses, there's a lot of corruption worldwide as well. And there, all of these things exist everywhere that you go. It's just different each place that you go. And it's very street level and very real in a place like Calcutta, where it, it, they call it the city left behind in India. And a huge percentage of the population lives below India's poverty line, which is well below America's poverty line. So some of the friendliest, most talented, interesting, capable people I've ever met in my life are continuously struggling under the weight of all of these infrastructural issues that they just lucked into. It was just bad luck that they happened to be born into a place where they don't have clean drinking water or vaccines or politics that work most of the time, <laughs> the way that we do in a lot of other places. Were you able to get water? And to like, did you feel like you had healthcare if you needed it and you had places that you trusted the food? How was that like for you coming from if you came from America or somewhere like America moving there and adjusting, was that really difficult with the day to day type of things? It, I mean, I was fine, but almost every place you go, particularly if you are a white guy with a U.S. passport, that privilege <laughs> extends almost everywhere you go on the planet. Even, even if you're not wealthy or anything, typically you're a lot better off than a lot of other people just by virtue again of that 
being born in the right place in the right way with the right skin tone. So that that's a huge advantage. My experience there is not going to be uh, indicative of everyone's experience. So I was typically good. My money went a long way. One dollar bought something like 50 rupees at the time. So I, I was getting good conversion arbitrage too. I could afford to buy all the bottled water that I needed uh, and to go to restaurants where they you know, boiled the water and cooked things to a point where you didn't really have to worry about it. Um, but the vast majority of people, that, that wasn't the case. And uh, yeah, it's, it, it, was, it was a difficult reality in part because it shows you the scale of the issue, in part because in a lot of cases, it's not maliciousness. It's not evil people causing these problems. It's just people not paying attention and the scale of the problem. A billion and a half people is a lot of people. And when the infrastructure was frail to begin with for a lot of different reasons, again, typically not the locals, uh, it wasn't their fault that these, these reasons were in place, these infrastructural issues, it, it all kind of adds up and continues to build into a cycle where it's just incredibly difficult to escape from the gravity of that type of background. Do you know if there's any way that we over here can help support that? being grown and and for people to be able to get more clean drinking water do you have a favorite nonprofit or organization charity uh, unfortunately like in a lot of places uh, a lot of african countries this is the same case a lot of the ngos in particular are not particularly effective i'm i'm sure there are some that are much better than others typically the best way out uh, for a lot of these, for a lot of the people that I met anyway, is being able to make connections that are beyond their means and being able to then take some of the immense skill and stick to itedness uh, and durability that they've developed just being who they are and then being able to leverage it in a place where it's appreciated. So rather than being one face in a crowd of a billion and just not having the opportunity short of essentially what amounts to a lottery win, uh, not having the ability to leverage that equalizing opportunities so that people are then able to extract themselves and then pull up their communities alongside that. And, and a lot of it's just, it's education, it's access to capital, it's having reliable markets. So as much as I would love to say, totally send mm -hmm. some money to this or that organization in a lot of cases, it's just going to be, general big picture stuff of making sure the world is safe, making sure that people have access to resources, making sure that education spreads far and wide to all people, to to women. A lot of cases, that is a shortfall in, in a lot of these countries. And to make sure that traditional biases are dropped because that caste system thing, even if it's not official in a lot of places, including India, it's still very much a part of day-to-day -day life where people who are in a particular situation are considered to deserve that situation in, in even when that's absolutely not the case. Yeah, that's, this is certainly makes you count your blessings really does like the chance that we were born here in this country or in a country where you have clean drinking water. This is not something that I think about every single day and I'm so grateful for, but then I'm reminded when I hear stories like this, like how incredibly, like I, I was just can't even believe that I was born in this body at this time when I could have been born, like even a fly, but I could have been born like any <laughs> other animal or I could have been born in somewhere where I can't even get clean drinking water. So Wow, definitely gives you perspective, but I do think that's why like traveling is so important is so that you can learn more about these things in different cultures and appreciate what you have even more and then also see how you can help make the world, like you said, on a bigger scale, even safer. So yeah. thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. And before we go over to the quick fire round, I guess the last thing I'll ask in this section is, where can people connect with you online if they want to learn more? Uh, well, you can go to exilelifestyle.com, which is my blog. You can subscribe to my podcast, which is Let's Know Things. Uh, my books are at colin.io. There's a list of my books there. And then I'm at Colin is my name pretty much everywhere on the Internet, though I think it's just Colin Wright on Facebook. All right, perfect. And I will have all of those links on the show notes for this episode as well. So everyone can go to mattymoon.com slash Colin dash rights. And it's time for the quick fire round. Okay. Question number one is 
Where are you going to next? I don't know, actually. And that's kind of exciting. Ooh. <laughs> Do you know if it's international or is it going to be in America? It will probably be international. I'm at the latter half of an adventure in the United States right now, where I lived in Wichita, Kansas, and now Memphis, Tennessee, for a year apiece to kind of catch up on what I've been missing here in the U.S. and to try out some different lifestyle choices for a short period of time. So after that, though, I'm not sure what it's going to look like, but probably international. Well, that's exciting. I look forward to following along. If you had a spirit animal, what would it be? Capybara. I don't even know what that is. Oh, it's a giant rodent that lives in South America. They are the friendliest animals on the planet. Everyone, like monkeys, ride on their backs, and they, they're nuzzling ducklings and turtles, and they're, they're awesome. I didn't know they existed when I took a bus through Paraguay uh, way back in the day when I first started traveling, and this giant dog-sized guinea pig, essentially, is what they look like, ran up to me, jumped up, and started licking my face. And I was terrified because it looked like a monster. But these really are legit the friendliest creatures that exist anywhere on the planet. That you're, the way you're describing it makes me think of um, on The Princess Bride, the rodents of unusual size. Do you know what I'm referring to? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's something like that. But look, Google capybara, and you will see exactly what, I, what I'm talking Capybara. Okay. Yeah. I'll Google that. They're amazing. If you were stranded on a desert island, what three items would you take? Oh, hmm, water filter. That would be important. Um, can I get off the island? Is this? Am I trying to escape or survive? You're trying to survive. Okay, so a water filter. Um, one of those, what are they called? The little fire starter things. Magnesium fire starter. I'd have one of those. And then... It depends on the climate, but maybe some type of seed that I could plant and grow food. These are all really boring, practical answers, I know, but <laughs> this is the type of thing that I tend to think about sometimes. That's a, those are good answers. A lot of times, like I asked my sister this, and she was like, my cell phone, my fridge, and my <laughs> slippers. <laughs> and I was like... Oh, solar right? panels. That's a good idea. Yeah, oh, so could... solar panels. I said slippers, but solar yeah. panels, <laughs> that's way better. <laughs> Um, awesome. I love that. Okay. If you had a ship, what would you name it? Oh, I don't, the good ship Capybara. I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about Capybaras recently, so maybe I might consider something else if I hadn't just looked at a bunch of cute images of Capybaras. I, I'm so excited to see what they look like. They must be amazing. <laughs> if you're going to name a ship after them, I mean, they oh, they're be. phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was your last meal that you ate? What did I? Oh, I made, let's see, I ate leftovers from something I made last night. I've been learning to cook. That was one of the other things I wanted to do coming back to the U.S. I'd never cooked really uh, at all. I could like burn water while trying to boil it. So I decided that was something I needed to learn to do. So I've made every meal for the last year and a half. And one of my dishes that I've been working on is this sesame oil garlic noodle dish that's just incredible and addictive and the my home still smells like sesame oil but i had some of those uh, for lunch today so you you said you've cooked every meal for the last year yeah except for a few meals when i've been traveling but otherwise every single Whoa. probably 99% of the meals for the last year i've i've made myself was that your goal were you like if i'm going to do this i'm going to do this all the way Oh, that's, that's my goal with everything. If I'm going to invest some time in something, I give myself a little tryout period, but I, I dedicate myself up to that milestone and then figure out how to work it into my life full time after that. With guitar, is that something new then? Have you just on, on since being in the U.S. picked that up? No, I, I started playing guitar when I was 15, I think. And it, but it was something that I set aside where I, I'd, I've always played it and I've gotten a little bit better over the years, but I never focused on it with the intensity that I have for these past couple of years, just on a practicality level and, and other priorities leading up to that. It's tricky to find cheap guitars in certain parts of the world. So I've, I've had trouble with that. But recently I've gotten back into it, have been focusing more intentionally on growing that alongside learning to play the piano, for which I learned to finally read music. So those two skills have been going uh, tandem in a lot of cases over the last two years. That's cool. I like that. I, I actually played, I played four different instruments. Um, 
before the age of 18. And then when I oh, became wow. 18, I was like, I'm all about bodybuilding and fitness. And like, I totally let go of all my music reading abilities and my love for music. And it was such a big part of my life. And like the past year, I keep telling myself, I want to get back into music. I want to get back into music. And I've been saying it for so long. And last night I was talking to my mom and I was like, all right, I'm going out and I'm getting a saxophone this weekend. Like I'm going to go rent one for four months and I'm going to stick to it for four months. Cause that's one instrument I always wanted to play, but I never created time for it. Cause I was playing other things. And so now I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to really just dedicate time to it. Cause I want to become like a jazz saxophone player. So it's cool nice. to hear you say that, that you just like have thrown yourself into it and you're enjoying it. Cause it's, it's getting me pumped to get back into it. Yeah. Oh, it, you know, as long as you take the time and, and for me, I, I'm writing a book about learning right now, actually, because I, I've realized that I have a very almost rubric like approach to a lot of these things, but particularly if you're able to take a few hours a day for the first month and really throw yourself into a bunch of different approaches to learning something. So you have like a formalized guidebook, almost like a textbook, but then you're also watching YouTube videos from someone who has a very specific approach. And then you're also kind of doing your own thing, figuring it out by trial and error. If you can get three or four different approaches and points of view, you can approach it in a three-dimensional way. And you have a much better chance of having each and every piece stick because you'll encounter them, each of the lessons, in a slightly different way from each different source. And if you do that for about a month, then you tend to have enough of the groundwork laid that then you can decide from that point forward, okay, two hours a day is not tenable with the other stuff that I want to do, but I will practice for a half an hour every day at 4 o'clock because now I have something to build upon. Oh, I really like that. As you were talking, I was thinking about like other ways I've been doing that exact thing in my life recently. I do acro yoga. And I was just thinking like I do classes and then I go to jams and I do it with random people I don't know. And then I do it mm. this way. And then I practice like the separate different moves on my own. Like that totally works. Like doing, having a very diverse strategy for learning things, especially with like with language, if it's music, that's, that's one thing, but like even learning a, a, a language that you want to speak, it's like going and being immersed in it and meetups and then learning it on YouTube. And then courses. So that's really good advice. I think people can use that same advice for anything they're learning. That's really powerful. Yeah. It tends to work pretty well, at least in my experience. Okay. Back to the quick fire round. Um, what is, <laughs> I'm, I'm totally ruining the quick fire element. No, that was one. awesome. I'm glad we went there. That was fun. Um, what is one must read book that you would recommend to everyone? Oh God, I read so many Wonderful books. You know, the one, one that I continuously recommend to people of late, there are two of them actually by the same guy, uh, Sapiens and Homo Deus, which are two books about humans, um, one about the history of humans and one about the future of humans. And they are thick books. They are dense in the sense that there's a lot to take in, but they are so readable. They just grip you and suck you in and they tell the story. If you read, uh, sapiens, they tell the story of humanity up until today. And if you read uh, Homo Deus, then you get to consider where we might go next. And it, they're just mm. such compelling books that do such an amazing job of bringing in such a huge context for a discussion that's usually very flat. Ooh, that sounds fascinating. I will have the links to those books on the show notes for this because I know I want to check that out. That sounds awesome. It sounds, I mean, like, I'm glad that you said it's very engaging and gripping because otherwise that has the potential to be very boring, but it sounds like yeah. it's really well, there's good. There's some amazing books out there that are dense and worth reading, but they are just a slog to get through. But this guy, Noah Harari, I think his name is, uh, he, he's an incredible writer. His, his work just sucks you right in and he's got a good balance of data and speculation and stories and case studies. Sweet. I'm so excited. Um, okay, so I'll pick two more of these questions. Do you have any pet peeves? Not really, I don't think. I, You know, I'll tell you, this is, this is going to be a really strange answer probably. But anytime I find myself getting bugged by something, I try to flip it around and ask myself why it bugs me. And typically I find that I'm being petty. And then I try to remind myself of that next time it bugs me because something that bugs me is probably serving some purpose for somebody else. 
And my response to it is just me kind of giving myself a compliment as someone who deserves to look down on somebody else for something. And, and typically that's not the case. <laughs> I, I, I am doing things I'm certain that annoy the hell out of other people all the time. And so uh, responding to it certainly is not something that typically is a good idea. But even allowing myself to get upset internally typically doesn't serve much of a purpose. Oh, that, that was like the best answer ever. That was so good. It's like you had, you could have just been like, oh, I really hate it when people smack. But instead you like mind blown. Like, there you go. If anyone's going to take away anything from this podcast, that was really good. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Okay. Last question I will ask you. This one might be very challenging, but I'm curious what your answer would be if you had to live in one more place for the rest of your life. One more place. Where would you pick? I don't know. Can I say like on a train? <laughs> Is that cheating? No, uh, you, that, you can totally live on a train. Okay. Yeah. Something like that. Cause honestly, just one, one physical location. There's a lot of places I could be happy. I could, I could make myself happy. I could find something to be happy about anywhere, but just choosing one place, not having to choose just one place doesn't really make sense to me because all of the places are more valuable because there are more than one. There are other places to compare and contrast and appreciate alongside whichever place I find myself in at the moment. So like living in Memphis right now, it's great, but it's even better because it's different from mm. New York and it's yeah. different from Prague and it's different from London. And you know that your time there is not forever. It's limited. So you want to like really indulge and enjoy all of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it inspires you. It, it catalyzes a different approach to places when you know that you are not stuck there for whatever reason. Oh, I love this. So good. Colin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This was so much fun. I got all my questions answered and more so. <laughs> so I really appreciate your time and I'm really excited for everyone to just go get all your books and absorb all of your delicious <laughs> insight and, and get inspired to go travel somewhere. Uh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Everyone, like I said, this is episode 182. You can go to maddiemoon.com slash Colin dash right and get all the show notes for this episode plus the links. And while you're there, if you haven't yet downloaded your free audio guide from me for pillars of femininity for perfectionists, you can download that for free over there on my website. And I hope you loved this episode. If you did, please leave a review on my iTunes show for Mind Body Musings. And I will see you guys next Wednesday.